Hey guys, welcome to the Better Building Systems Podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Ferry, and here with me today is Nick Taliska, Jim DePasquale, and Mark Sankey. As you guys know, we are the Building Hot Rodders. So in today's podcast, we will be diving into a discussion on the forensic analysis process. And this is this is really obviously geared towards facilities because we are the Building Hot Rodders, but uh, like many things in life, there's a lot of similarities in the forensic analysis process to identifying the root cause of a problem for any kind of mechanical system or anything. So yeah, you, you may find us discussing not only building systems today, but nonetheless, forensic analysis process. Diving right in, the, the whole goal of this podcast is just to discuss and determine the best path to get to the root cause of a problem and you know as we all know in many things in life that is not necessarily as easy as it sounds and if it's uh you know a mechanical problem an electrical problem controls refrigeration building envelope and so on and so forth you're going to have a failure at some point and you know knowing how to quickly determine what the root cause of that problem is, is critical because there's a lot of band-aids you could put on a lot of different things, but that, as we all know, only masks the problem. No, I think, Hey, I, I think that's all true. And, you know, in experience, the first thing you have to do when there's a, a problem is take a breath, you know, too many times people jump to the end and say, I think, I think I know what it is and start chasing a, solution that may have worked in the past or may may be a parallel uh, solution but the first thing is take a breath and gather all the facts sage advice yeah and you know i i kind of um you know just personality and background wise i always bring it to you know diagnosing an automobile any kind of problem on that right i mean i bring a lot of what i have learned in in that kind of field to the building operations field for the same process, you know, um, you know, thinking of an issue offhand, my battery's dead, right? Well, it might not just mean replace your battery, your alternator could be bad, or you could have, um, a short voltage or regulator, a bad voltage or regulator, or, or right. you know, a light stays on. So just saying, Oh, my battery's bad. And I got to replace that. That's not, that's not getting to the root cause of the problem all of the time. You know, sometimes you can have that be the only issue, but it's the same thing with facilities, you know, and we can get into more detail, but I'm going to definitely go back to a lot of automotive analogies, I guess, I suppose, for this conversation for sure. <laughs> well, I think that's good. Everybody understands them, Clayton. And, and, you know, I think what's interesting when you think about building forensics, a lot of times people think of the, the civil and the structural aspect of it. You know, there's been a roof collapse, a problem with the foundation mold. And a lot of things we'll be talking about, I would imagine today are about you know, dynamic failures and a lot of times in building systems, things are still operating and it may not be the whole thing is shut down. Sometimes it is that severe, but other times it's, you know, a lot of the nuances of sometimes it's working, sometimes it's not. Sometimes we're making temperature, sometimes not. You know, sometimes the airflow is not good. So I think there's a different kind of, I don't know, process perhaps that you go through when it's more of a, a dynamic and ongoing set of issues you're addressing yeah you know nick it's definitely um it's definitely a different animal too when like you said it's it's a it's a living breathing building that's you you can't just not use it and turn it off and tow it to the the building mechanic and have them keep it for a week and do a whole bunch of testing on you know and try to figure it out some of these problems (laughs) <laughs> that's just not practical obviously for a facility so it it definitely changes the um the analysis and diagnosis procedure pretty substantially on that regard so where do we start you know we talk about the roots but you got almost start at the top of the trees now yeah well i think i'm going to use an analogy you know clayton's using automobiles i'm going to use computers and i think when you get started you know, I feel like when you restart a computer, 99% of the time it fixes whatever issue you're having. And I'm not saying that's exactly going to translate to a building system. But the idea is, is maybe when you start out, you want to first start out with the 
high probability items that are probably causing the failure. You know, I don't, I don't think it's worth chasing a very low probability item that might have failed on you right off the bat. I think you want to rule out the high probability things first as you work your way through the process. Absolutely. Yeah, I have to agree. And- I, I, I mean, you get, get into, you know, hot water, chilled water. Hey, I have a low flow condition. Uh, is it systemic? Is it a single air handler? Okay, if it's a either one, I would always check the strainers. Let's let's start there. Versus, yep. oh, my pump's going south, or you mm-hmm. know, I have I'm airbound, or some other thing. Unless you drain and fill the system mm-hmm. every year, you know, check the strainers first. So what was what was that example, Mark? What was the problem? You have a low flow condition uh, at either an air handler coil or systemically in a chilled water system uh, nope. before I, you know, start saying, Oh, my, you know, my pump's going South or, you know, any other thing, unless there are other indicators, the pump's going South like noise or cavitation or, you know, bearing issue. I wouldn't look at the pump. I would look at the, the, uh, strainers and then, you know, potentially if it's a, at a single air handler, do I have a control valve that is not operating properly or has somebody, you know, changed the uh, balance valves or circuit setters? You know, that, that example is interesting because, um, you know, I don't have a, I'm not, I don't have a whole lot of experience in, in this, but you know, a low flow condition would probably not be your, um, your issue identified though, right? You might be like, Oh, we're not, you know, we're not cooling. We're not cooling. Right. Exactly. So now you got to go through, okay, why is that? And you, it might take, I don't know how many steps till, you, till somebody figures out, oh, it's low flow. Okay. Right. So now we have low flow, you know, now how do we identify this? So I, I just thought, yeah, that there'll be a, an overarching issue past low flow. Um, well, you're right. And that's that identified. It was probably not a good example because the first thing somebody tells you, oh, my office is too hot. Well, then I have to check airflow yep. and I have to check discharge air temperature. Is the control system working, whether it's DC, pneumatic, whatever it is. And, you know, then you get all the way down to, okay, I have a low flow condition. Then you're into, you know, the level three uh, problem solving. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's definitely, uh, I guess, higher in the levels of identifying an issue. See, I think that's a good example because when you first started talking about it, Mark, I'm thinking maybe you had something in your BMS, you know, indicating, you know, a flag and alarm with low flow, right? Something you've prescribed, you set into the automation, so you get that flag. But then it does change kind of the process you go through if, like Clayton said, you're noticing something out in the space, you know, like what is the problem? It might be the same solution, but... You know, the problem could be defined two different ways. And obviously, if you're starting at the topmost level, like, hey, it's not cool enough in a particular space. I mean, you're, you're working your way back through error and then ultimately right. to water in that regard. Right. Yep. And so it kind of right. does, you know, take a different path, but or maybe just enters a path at a different point. Yeah, I, I got to imagine like a lot of the the problems identified if you have a BMS is just, you know, you look at like maybe this is a little bit more advanced of a BMS, but you you have your like heat map, right? And you know, whatever room starts turning red and then now, now starts the forensic analysis procedure to say, why is my room hot? (laughs) And that's what you have to start with. And then you start going down the, the list of this, the probably seemingly very obvious things first is the v, does the VAVF power, which you could you probably obviously be able to identify from the BMS right then and there. Well, I, I mean, we just we're working in a building where they have issues like that now. So, uh, okay, the the buildings or the room is hot, huh? Okay, uh, where's the thermostat? And then you say, well, when is it hot? Well, it's always hot around two o'clock. Well, that's when the sun comes around the building and you have a, you know, a yeah. glass window. Yeah. So let's put some shades on the window. <laughs> yeah. It may not be a yep. BMS issue at all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. That's a good point, Mark, about, so is it, you know, a one-time failure that occurred or is it something that's periodic? 
And then obviously you're drilling down into, well, when, under what circumstances does this problem manifest? Exactly. So, um, you know, obviously like anything good, any good, uh, person, team trying to, to solve a problem, you have to be systematic. And I know we kind of covered, we, we started, you know, alluding to this, you know, being systematic, um, I'm just trying to think like, you know, obviously like, how often does it happen though, where, where you start, you, you, you go head first into the problem, right? And you, you, you try to, you know, solve the issue and you make it worse. Or like we said, you, you know, you bandaid it. Um, you definitely how often? have, yeah. Like, you know, I, I, I feel like a lot of people can say, okay, they're, you know, whatever this problem is, I don't know, it's hot in this room. So we're just going to, we're going to figure this out and we're going to ramp up the fan speed or whatever. I don't know. I mean, so I'll, I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so a, a large college campus, distributed chill water, I mean, a central chill water system, you know, primary, secondary, tertiary distribution across the campus. Um, the energy manager who I'd known for a long time called me up and said, hey, I have a big issue. I said, well, what's your big issue? Um, well, our uh, cooling load are, is remaining constant all winter. I said, what? She said, yeah, we're running our chillers uh, um, all winter. I said, okay. And uh, she said, I, I don't know what's happened. I said, well, tell me what you've done over the last year. She said, well, we added a building, you know, at the south end of the campus. I said, uh-huh. And um, she said, we were having trouble getting flow to it. I said, right. So you increase the pump speed, increase the differential pressure. Yeah, that's right. I said, and all the valves on the secondary systems prior to that are now exceeding their shutoff pressure. So even though your BMS is telling you the valves are fully closed, if you go measure those, they will be flowing chilled water all the time and you'll be heating and cooling at the same time. She said, I don't think that's right. I said, well, you go check it out and let me know. She called me back the next day and said, you're right. So they fixed problem A, get chilled water to the building and cause problem B. I love that. I love that example, Mark. That's a common occurrence on, you know, primary, secondary systems that are added onto or renovated, you know, the the valves closest to the plant, you turn up the pressure on the pumps and it's just, that's a very common occurrence. Yeah. I mean, how can you diagnose that from your seat unless you've seen it before? I mean, it happens all the yep. time and you know, people are well-intentioned, but without that, you know, systemic yep. process. Well, yep. Look at, look at the big picture. You have right. to, you can't just focus on the issue right. at hand. Don't put your blinders on. (laughs) Right. Even with regards to, you know, smaller problems, it is, it is common to, uh, oh, I know I'll just do this. And the next thing you know, you've um, hopefully not caused damage, but uh, certainly uh, exacerbated the problem. Yeah. I think it's extremely frustrating too, when you see that happen, because it's like, just take a step back and a breath and look at, look at the you know, facility as a whole or whatever, you know, just don't just run. I mean, you, you have to address the problem, you know, expediently, but don't just run at it with, you, you know, your preconceived notions like this is what it is. I'm going to do this. And then, yeah, you start going down the road and you probably it makes it harder to, to walk back and actually get to the root cause of the problem and fix that then because you've compiled so much more stuff on top of it. I have, you know, oh, I, I did this because of this. And then, you know, and then you have another effect and then you react to that and then you react to that. And now you're, you know, 10 steps down the road the wrong way and you have to walk all that back to get to the right issue. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and I think we as, you know, practitioners of building analysis design need to avail ourselves of the tools that are available. This is not the dark ages of building construction. Mm -hmm. We have more data, more tools, more ability to analyze than ever before. If we were still, you know, 
back in the dark ages, we would be doing the equivalent of bloodletting as a physician. We're, we're, we're way past that. We have, <laughs> you know, all kinds of analytical devices, analysis devices and tools to get us information. So take a breath. What tools do I need to pull out of the bag and use them? A multimeter. Just get your multimeter right. out and, you know, start figuring out what your, if you have any control signals going to the valve or, you know, is the, is the DO actually on to command this or whatever. I know that, you know, the, that kind of root causes to a lot of BMS issues, but yeah, a multimeter is like a must have. If, if you want to try to figure out a problem, you just get your multimeter and start getting the data, which we'll talk about in our next episode. <laughs> So in the chilled water plant example, though, I mean, didn't they, you know, if they identified the root cause of their issue and they traced it back to the chilled water system, obviously, and delivering more flow, then where was the breakdown? It seems like it was kind of in the step of identifying, okay, we identified the root cause, we're going to change that, but then rebranching using the tree you know, going back up and figuring out, well, if we make a change here, what other branches does that affect essentially? Well, and I, and I mean, I think the disconnect happens when people assume that what a BMS tells them is correct. Oh, All that's my valves so dangerous. Are to be a hundred percent closed. Yeah. My valves are a hundred percent closed. I believe none of that nonsense. Yeah. Unless you go out and look at it. Yep. It has to be verified. Do we know that's a fact? We know that at some point in time, the system was calibrated, commissioned. And unless you have actual position feedback on the valves, which most BMS systems don't have, that tells me, okay, the valve stroke is at full closed position. Um, they're going to assume that because it's commanded closed, it's closed. That, that is a very dangerous assumption. Oh, yeah. one of the cardinal sins, you might say. Oh, but right. it's it's so tempting, though. You know, you have that data right in front of you, and it, it, it's on a pretty graphic, and, you know, it, it it's always pretty much been true from what you can tell, and now you start saying, oh, well, yeah, the valve says it's at closed, so it has to be. I mean, it's just so tempting. <laughs> Sometimes even oh. I catch myself, you know, looking at a BMS and saying, well, well, how can that be? This says this, and then you walk out there, and you're like, son of a gun. You know, I mean, Nick will tell you, and I covered it in an earlier podcast. There was a time that we could have done serious damage, and maybe I could have even been killed because somebody was looking at a, a BMS system saying the pump's running, and it wasn't true. Yeah, because it's commanded to run, but right. yeah, doesn't mean that it is. I agree completely, completely. And I'll tell you what, and, and I'm, I guess I'll, I'll steer the conversation a little bit. You know, you can almost break this down to, I don't want to say almost, you can. Um, it, it seems, I don't know, you may agree or disagree, and I don't even know how I feel necessarily about it, but, you know, an existing facility that's just, you know, chugging along, nobody's touching anything, it's doing its thing, all is good, okay, then bam, you have a problem, and you start diagnosing it. That That's one one issue procedure what have you right but then you then you can start talking about well our facility is under construction now um and there's contractors in and you know the electrical contractor is pulling some cabling for some additional sensors io whatever and now my room is hot one of the rooms is hot you know then you start getting into the coincidences and, and he said, she says, and who touched what last and what's actually happening. And I think that makes this whole forensic analysis procedure uh, extremely, cha not extremely challenging, but it can get a lot more challenging. That's an important point. I think Clayton kind of adds on to what Mark was saying previously with his example. You know, he asked, you know, what have you, have you done anything recently? And uh, the facilities uh, person he was talking to said that they recently added on a building. So that that's a good point. If there's something stops working, one of the first questions you should be asking is what was changed or added on to, or what was a recent action um, done that may be at the cause of whatever is going on with the system? It's just so challenging though. Like, um, <laughs> I don't want to get too much in the weeds. It's not really in the weeds, but like, some of the coincidences, though, 
that you know people you you can try to correlate an issue to is is crazy to me like um yep like say say you have an, an unstable a bms you know control network right and you have the electrical contractor in there and all they did was open the freaking panel and now stuff is going awry and you know somebody's blaming the electrical contractor is getting blamed for touching something and this and that and it, it just turns into a whole slow down uh, what's actually the you, problem <laughs> human nature though i mean what they call it back in the old days you either had a posse or a lynch mob right yeah that's you know it. the first thing you know, the, yep. the town's on fire but they're looking for somebody to hang for yes. you know yes. doing whatever yep. so again you have to take a breath don't yep. you know let's address the problem then we'll worry about assignment of damages or whatever it is once we really get the data together and determine what the actual problem was but you know it is very common especially contractors in building or you know a new maintenance crew or whatever it is something goes south well it had to be yeah blah 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 and the next thing you know we're going to have a corrective action report and we're going to send out emails and you know everybody's going to get black eyes and then it turns out that wasn't even the problem in the first place so yep. Yep. Get the data first. Yes, exactly. It just seems like it's such an easy trap to fall into when there's a lot going on in a facility and now you start having problems and it was who was the last person that, you know, breathed on it. You're going to have to touch it right. sometimes, you know, gets dangerous. <laughs> I don't know that you guys have done this at all, but, you know, I've been a subject matter expert in a number of legal cases where there were significant damages the biggest one was uh, seven million bucks because of a coil freeze up so uh you know the the um plaintiffs had obviously gotten you know uh their own forensic experts and so on and so forth and uh the the um, plaintiffs were ascribing all meaning 100% of the damages to the control system manufacturer, one of the big three, and went into a very detailed analysis about how a triac failed and therefore the dampers didn't close and the pump stayed on and blah, 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 blah. But in the big scheme of things, what does a control system have to do with closing the outside air dampers when um, the freestat trips? The correct answer should have absolutely nothing to do with yeah. it. That pre-stat needs to work whether the system's in hand or auto, and it should be totally independent from the control system. And if you wire it, and every every uh, damper manufacturer, damper actuator manufacturer, valve manufacturer uh, will tell you that do not use the control system as a freeze protection device. It's very simple. So you know, turned the whole litigation uh, upside down. And basically now they had to look for who else can basically pay the bill. And it went to, you know, now we have the engineer, the control system uh, designer, you know, the, the installing company, the electrical contractor, the commissioning agent, and the control system manufacturer, the actual hardware manufacturer, um, basically was almost completely off the hook. Yeah, because they had nothing to do with it. Well, I mean, no, they had nothing to do with it. Yeah, and, right, right. and literally they warned uh, in the in the operator in the installation manual that this is not a freeze protection or yeah. a, a device to prevent life safety uh, you know, to affect yeah. life safety conditions. It's not a life safety control system. That goes into every probably controls drawing that ever goes out from, you know, them or with, you know, and every box that the controller comes in, it's on there. Correct. I mean, that's just like the, yeah. yeah. And that's a significant example and they do occur out there, but, you know, I think the vast majority, well, I know the vast majority of, uh, you know, problems that occur in buildings, you know, don't get near litigation level, you know, in a lot of these cases where, you do need to take the systematic approach. I mean, there, there are problems that happen every day in buildings, and sometimes they take weeks or months or possibly even years to correct. But, yeah, uh, you know, the vast majority can be hopefully handled with just some uh, a thoughtful, systematic process that, you know, fundamentals well, are applicable to 
really anything, whether it's mechanical in nature or electrical or controls related. I would, I would even go one step further, Nick. I mean, if you are in the M&B business and you are, and for whatever reason there's a shortfall, that's, that's the same kind of problem solving, right? You have to start with the absolute, let's get the facts before you start to draw conclusions. And so how much of your time goes into fact finding versus, you know, once you, once you really find the facts, you can put the, all the facts on the table and the story will tell itself. Oh, I agree completely. Clarity before agreement. Yeah. Right. And I, um, I find, you know, <laughs> whenever there's a problem, my mind always goes to it's, it's something simple and stupid, right? It's the needle <laughs> on the haystack. It, it almost always is, at least from what I can tell in my life experience, you just, we, you have to find that. And that's where the facts are, are extremely valuable. And you, you have to go through that process because it's not because there's a nine times out of 10, it's not because there's a, a huge systematic failure and, you know, whatever, whatever it's, there's, there's one simple component either in installation, in the hardware itself, the software, whatever, whatever, whatever that failed, that caused whatever is occurring. And you, you have to like have the mindset, I'm going to find this needle in the haystack, at least to me. I don't know. Maybe you could say I think about it wrong, but that's where my I mind agree always with you goes. Completely. That's the number one rule personally. When I find something's yeah. not going right in my work, I, I usually think, I've learned to think, okay, I, I might be doing something really foolish here, right? And yep. take a step back. And sometimes you're absolutely right. And the corollary to that I found is then my second step is maybe I'm overcomplicating things here. And I think that might be one of the things that, you know, when you get into a, a group of people that are trying to maybe discern what the problem is, and even once you get into what the solution is, that, uh, yeah, you may be running risk of overcomplicating things. But again, that's why, you know, I think you do need to have a process. And I think there's steps yeah. you can take that regardless of what problem you're trying to deal with, that will get you down through that level of, you know, ultimately finding the solution. But it's really like Jim started with, you know, eliminating the things that are not likely to be, you know, the problem. Yeah. So, um, Mark, I, I don't know if I'm, we're allowed to dabble in this conversation, but you know, I have a perfect real world example of identifying the root cause of a problem when something doesn't work. Don't just, name names, but yes. We just got through it. Okay, if you had an exhaust fan in a system and it was designed to make X amount of CFM and X amount of suction static pressure and you installed it and turned it on and you you went through the startup, you know, you, you did all of the, the standard procedures to get to the point where we can flip the switch on and, you know, make sure it works. And you're not you're not reaching those designed flow and static pressure, um, you know, um, definitions, right? What where does your mind go? How do you start that process of what's the issue? Uh, and, and so, that, not just what's the issue, but first, the first thing is you should spend an hour or more trying to convince the commissioning agent they don't know how to read a fan curve. I, I sense the sarcasm in that statement. <laughs> First, you have to tell them that the laws of physics don't apply to this situation. Right. Fan laws don't work anymore. Yep. We have a Those, magic fan. Do, right. The magic fan will do what it, – yeah, it'll work. Um, but, you know, and even in that one, I mean, there was some denial. We, we had a lot of denial we had to get past to, to even start the, um, the the process of identifying the, the failure. But – I don't know. That's that. That's like a, a very recent life, real life example of. Well, and then how many people analysis. got involved in the forensic analysis? Probably too many. <laughs> Engineer, contractor, equipment manufacturer. Yeah. Balancer. Yeah. Electrical contractor. And I, what was the upshot? Well, I, I'm not going to say it yet. Like Jim. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> what, 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 where would your mind go if that was the issue first? I'm just trying to see. I'm putting you guys to the test. Nick, you got a second to think about this too. Just remind me, what was the, the, the it was yeah, okay, so you designed, pressure? you designed an exhaust system. You know, you, you select a fan. It's yeah. supposed to do X amount of CFM and at X amount of, you know, suction static pressure. You, 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 mm -hmm. it gets 
it gets balanced. It gets, you know, the drive guy comes, starts it up, does all the stuff. Paperwork's done. You flip the switch on. You, you get to the last part of balancing to say, okay, let's make sure it's doing the total flow and static pressure, and it doesn't do it. At, at full amps. At full amps. What what is where, where does your mind go for this? I'm putting you on the spot. Oh, for it. So we hit. It's not making flow yeah. or pressure. Is, is the fan on? Yes. <laughs> okay, okay. Just that was a trick question. No, no, it's not, though. I mean, well, I mean, those are things you... If we're at if we're at full amps and we're not making full pressure um, or flow, my first question would be: Where did you take that reading? Like, what's okay. going on between where you took that reading okay, and your fan inlet? Because that's a that's a good, is that good or bad good start. Yeah, so yeah. that'd be it's right at the suction okay. side of the fan, you know, straight stuck down. No, whatever. it's not right at the suction side of the fan. Well, it's not it's yeah, technically the, right. Yeah, it, it's. It's where well, the you, dock works usually take like the a roof. Yes. To go outside. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah, because if you're if you're full amps, you're probably you got to leak some. You're flow. You have you're flowing more air than you're reading. Is my guess. Something's not right there. So that's where your mind goes. Leak. All right, Nick. What do you think? Guys, let's just get to the point here. What, what was how? How are you guys involved in this project to start with? You got all these different players in there too, and everybody's trying to figure out what's wrong with this fan. Yeah, yeah. Mark is the guy that's saying the fan's not working. So if you're if yeah. you're if you're Mark Nick and you're standing there with the balancer, the engineer, everybody else, and their brother trying to you know right there and say where where do we go? What do we look at? What do you say? What do you do first? Uh, I'd say you guys figure it out here. This isn't what I do. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right, and that's what, uh, and but what instead I get the well, you don't know you don't understand how this fan works. I said, okay, I don't, but you know, if we're at full load amps now, we're not making pressure and flow. Well, oh, yeah, it'll it'll keep making more pressure and flow if we uh, have less system uh, restriction. Yeah. I said, prove it. So the next step was to cut a hole in the duct, put another balanced damper in it on the suction side of the fan, and it didn't work. Didn't make any more pressure. In fact, it cut the pressure in half, and it barely yep. made design flow. Yep. Okay. And the fan curves at this point are a prominent feature you guys are relying on. Where, where was that damper inserted? On the uh, main exhaust trunk on the suction side of the fan. So it's, what about like the actual connection to the fan? Damn it, Jim. Damn it, Jim. Ding, ding, ding. You win. Brilliant. <laughs> After 47 days. <laughs> <laughs> the fan wasn't connected. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> There is a apparently a gap between you know the fan on the roof and the plenum down <laughs> and the exhaust duct. Yeah, so like you you went right to it. I'm very impressed, by the way. Me too. Um, Good job. Jeff. Yeah, you made this way less exciting than I thought it would be, but um, yeah, I mean, but it's it it also proves it it has to be the obvious. Yes, yes, but you you can't yeah. There was a lot of denial and a lot of trying to prove, uh, you know, other reasons. The voltage isn't right. Um, oh, yeah. Right. You know, stuff like that. How many times do we go check the voltage? And uh, the fan rotation was another one. And, you know, yeah, the, the system volume and restrictions and so on and so forth. And, yeah, the fan wasn't connected. And, and this is a recent example, you said? I, I think this is definitely 2021 example. 2021 example, yeah. That's a that's a great uh, yeah, a great example to keep handy for telling that exact <laughs> message. Huh. But you know who else came to that conclusion, Jim? Like in ten minutes, I was no, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. Was it was it connected? Yeah, she says. <laughs> exactly what she said that's well but you know to to that point 
when you're so heavily involved in in everything going on, your mind starts just it, it gets clouded. Maybe is a good term. You know, you need the the cold eye step back. Let's look at the the actual problem and what what could actually be causing this problem. You know, and there. I mean, Jim's a great example of that. Okay, physically something's something's not right physically in the system if we're doing full amps and not getting there. So that's my, that's my little trivia um, example. So I wonder if any of our listeners beat Jim to the uh, punch there, but he was pretty quick to it. (laughs) Yeah, that was great. (laughs) Wow. I'm impressed. So that takes away the whole process of elimination. I uh, I was going to have Jim just got right to it. Well, I mean, they were they were getting ready to go wheels up and have the fan manufacturer fly to the site. You know, that's how far away, you know, and, and how much the, the, the issue had been clouded by, you know, speculation, conjecture. Yeah, speculation, a lot of speculation, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it goes back to where, like, it's kind of similar to the whole control system. Like, do you actually trust what... Um, your system's telling you. So when I see a, a balance report that says we're not making pressure and flow, but the fans flowing flow amps, I'm like, well, the fans flowing more than its design, and it's probably at low pressure. Um, <laughs> so wh- where is the disconnect? Where yeah. was that reading taking place? Right. So like similar to a control system that's telling you something. Like Mark said, you got to go out there and actually like look at the valve position and be like, oh, show me where you took this reading. And I'm going to look at the area between there and the fan because something's not right there. Those two numbers aren't, are not a good We should have called other. Jim a month and a half ago, yeah. half ago and would have saved all kinds of money. Yep. <laughs> no, you should have just asked me to beat me to it. I come in second place. You know, I think I have more sympathy for the people that were tasked with figuring out what this was. This this problem would go back to even before commissioning. This would be a, a basic construction verification. You, you, no? you definitely you definitely are going under the preconceived notion that it was installed correctly when you're trying to identify the issue why it's not yeah. functioning. I mean that was yeah, that was like a given on everybody's mind is okay it's installed right so what's the actual issue but nobody and right there was the the key yeah. problem because then everything branched off from that one yeah incorrect assumption yeah you know being a, a especially new construction you know never turned on never has any previous um history of operating properly you yeah you i guess that has to be your your first question is it installed right i mean everyone <laughs> just overlooked that though yeah so i guess i have less sympathy yeah <laughs> Well, I mean, you still can have some sympathy. You'd kind of go, you you would assume, but you should, I guess, in this, definitely never assume. That's a huge, you know, (laughs) issue. Good lesson. Good lesson for everybody. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think that example really summarizes this whole conversation extremely well (laughs) about how you can just, you know, get off track, get in the weeds and get your vision. So I'm not bad. I don't want to sound like I'm really bashing anybody. Either it was just one of those like it comes back down to that it was something extremely stupid and simple that caused all of this, like many of the other issues that you may ever experience in any of your facilities. So that was my real life example. That was real good. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to. Uh, I don't know if I should wrap up the conversation at this point. Um, you know, is there? Is oh, we there only a- have 45 minutes recorded. That's all right, though. I mean, I, I I think it was a good conversation. And, you know, you get down to the process of elimination that Jim completely, well, he didn't skip. I think he did it right in his uh, analysis. And that was the first thing to eliminate. And that was actually the problem. Right. But if it wasn't the issue, you know, where do you go from there? You have to you have to have your your process and you have to physically test, feel, hear, see to ensure that what you believe is reality is truly reality to get to the root yep. cause of the problem. Yeah, I agree. And, and uh, you know, as Nick said early on, make sure you, you don't do any harm. Um, too many times, you know, and we see it quite often actually with 
control systems. Uh, you bring any controls tech on site, as soon as they fire up their laptop, what's the next thing they grab? Their tweaker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Proceed to tweak. And, you know, tweaking without a objective in mind is just a bad habit. Yeah, I mean, then you get to some point Never. of where, you know, where did we actually, what, what is the baseline? Now the baseline is almost gone because right. you've just, you've changed all of that now. And now, just now trampled on the evidence. Yeah, right. exactly. You just trampled on the evidence and that definitely happens far too much. So, yeah. And I think, you know, I'll go back to the control system stuff. We find many uh, or quite often in the commissioning business that there's, even the simple things or the things you think should be simple, like control, control loop tuning, become a uh, hit and hope endeavor where, well, well, we'll increase the proportional band or, you know, we'll put a filter on it. But, you know, when people tell me we need to slow down the control loop, that just drives me out of my mind. <laughs> the, the simplest control loops that we all deal with, um, a quick example would be your cruise control on your yeah, automobile. I love that example, yeah. What if it took your car five minutes to get up to speed when you hit the reset button? <laughs> would that be acceptable performance? I mean, of course not. Yeah. So why should I wait five minutes for my supplier temperature to reach set point, have a two-minute overshoot on the first cycle, the second damp cycle the rebounds, and we have a one-minute overshoot, and then it continues to oscillate plus or minus – 1.5 degrees continuously. That is not acceptable performance. But, you know, the, a lot of times we'll see, well, the trend every 15 minutes shows it's perfectly flat. Well, that's um, because it's the root mean square of the measured variable. It's yeah. not the actual performance. So when we sample it every 30 seconds or go and look at the valve, you'll see that that valve is wiggling like a hula dancer. That's no good. <laughs> but yeah, there's your, your Band-Aid your band-aid resolution instead of doing any kind of forensic diagnosis into the what is the PID loop actually doing we'll just slow it down that'll fix it it'll be fine nothing to worry about well I think that's a lot of the things you're going to get into too are the sequences of operation you know so the documentation behind all these systems becomes important yeah I think the last thing you want is somebody just coming in thinking they understand how the system should work and start, you know, like more caution against turning things here, poking things here, making adjustments. That's, that's the wrong thing to do in a case like that. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Trying to understand what they're supposed to be doing is, is a big part of it. And, well, but, and uh, but okay, how many Mark. times have you been in a big job, you know, let's say a campus project, you know, or even a multi-building complex or even one big, big building, and you go to the job site and ask to look at the as-built drawings and you see the last revision was three and a half years ago and you know for a fact that they've added air handlers, they've added rooms. They've... How often do you see real as-builts on a large project? Typically, never. You never <laughs> see it because the, the controls uh, installers typically treat each new project as its own little island and they'll send out a new set of drawings and never do you find a complete integrated set of as-built drawings? I mean, that's the kind of things that keep me awake at night. Well, and then your and then your multimeter doesn't even work because you don't even you don't know what the hell you're poking at to see if the DI or you know the AO or whatever is doing anything because you have you're looking at the the contract drawings from the original project and now 13 things have been added and there's 13 right. different drawing sets and you got to figure out which one is reality and they're everywhere and yeah, very sad. So that that was just tangential, I guess, but <laughs> still something that keeps you awake at night. It, it surely does. Well, it makes the forensic analysis process extremely difficult because you 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 don't have the data. I don't know if you call it the data, but you know a baseline of what is reality. What am I looking at to go off of when you when you have an issue like that? Yeah. Oh, it's one of the hardest things to estimate. How long is it going to take you to fix this problem? Oh, gosh, yeah. I couldn't. Right? I mean, yeah. It, it, it could take right. 10 minutes or 10 days or 10 weeks. I don't know. <laughs> Depends. There's a lot. Yeah. I agree. 
depends on where it falls in that hierarchy of, you know, your analysis. Start from the top. Is the fan connected? <laughs> that's a quick one if you start at that and it's that. But if you skip it and go down the road for, you know, however many days and come back to it, then it takes a long time to diagnose. Or you could probably develop some flow chart that had, you know, how many people have been involved in right. trying to fix this problem so far. Okay, multiply by three. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how is your documentation non-existent? Okay, multiply yeah. by five. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh man little estimating chart there it is yeah but and i i guess just to clarify too for our listeners you know it it seems like this conversation is definitely gravitated towards um existing construction or new build issues that have occurred and like i said before it's a little different when you when you have you know previous history of a facility a piece of equipment a system running properly and then something happens because that it you know it changes the procedure a little bit, I would say. Maybe maybe Definitely makes it not. a little bit more simpler because then you know, oh, this fan worked before. Why is it not working now? And you can go through your list or this pump used to work or the room used to be cool and now it's not. So what's the issue? Instead of has it ever worked before? Where do we start? You know, what's our baseline? Doesn't exist. Whatever, whatever. So. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know which would be easier on paper necessarily. I would rather try to diagnose a system that was previously working fine and now we had an issue. I I think maybe I'm scarred from from. Well, no, I think uh, that's true up to a certain point because if you don't have a full knowledge base of the building, yes, you're right about that. uh, Yep, there are so many things that can impact performance that you may not have even data for. Yep. How good is the water treatment on the chilled yep. water system? You're right is about there a responsibility that? that the insides of the coils and the tubes are scaled mm-hmm. and that's causing our heat transfer issue? I mean, there's a lot that you can't see. Yep. Damn. Yeah. Lot to think about in your in our forensic analysis um, discussion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think we've demonstrated your introductory statement that it's not easy. Yes, it's not. It's not like we can go through this podcast and come out with the the perfect, you know, list. Although the outline we have in front of us is a pretty dang good um, summarization of the process. You know, Nick, um, just to follow on from your flowchart, if you've ever been into a old uh, auto mechanics shop or sometimes small engine shop yeah they have the sign hanging up labor rate 30 bucks an hour did you yeah. try and fix it 50 dollars an hour are you going to ask questions 60 dollars an hour are you going to watch 75 dollars <laughs> an hour you know i remember one of those places that's what i was thinking of exactly <laughs> and how true have you tried to fix this problem before yeah yep. uh, now what are we getting a little into? extra right yeah because you you're you're getting into the unknown now of what did they do? What did they touch? What did they change yep. to try to, yep. what did they bandaid this problem with if it even worked yeah. as a bandaid? But I think we've also, I mean, we besmirch, well, you besmirch the bandaid idea. Band-aids are great, Clayton, and you agree, but sometimes <laughs> in facilities, I mean, you can't blame it. I mean, we, we've yes. know, talked for a while about root cause analysis. Everybody's heard the term, oh, it sounds so simple, but a lot of times it does take time, and when you have a problem, people are trying to fix that quickly. Yes. And the more, I guess, time goes on, the more people you get involved, which yep. can make it more complicated, but can also help mm-hmm. solve it in some cases. So it's, uh, I don't know. It's no wonder that oh. you know, robust problem solving takes time. And... You know, I kind of joked about it before, but how much time does it take you to solve a problem? It's it's very difficult. And, and Nick, I, I agree with you. Band-Aids are important, but if you, you know, first aid is what it is, first aid. And if you look on most medicines, they all say, if the problem persists for 10 days, see your doctor or whatever it is. <laughs> I love it. It's yeah. not a, um, you know, okay, we have to keep the building heated or cool or dehumidified yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. But if to do that, we've put some fix in place, like putting the pumps in manual at 100% speed or whatever it is. That's not, 
it's not acceptable as the permanent fix because if there is a problem that is, uh, you know, been caused over time and is generally getting worse, the next step you may not be able to pull a Band-Aid out and make it work. No, that's beautiful. You're right. And it's the problem of, of multiple Band-Aids. So the, the first right. problem doesn't get addressed adequately. Yeah. And it goes on. There's another problem. And then as you drill down, you find out that, oh, there's a Band-Aid over here that, you know, is impacting things too, because that problem wasn't sufficiently addressed. Yeah, buildings are, are complicated little organisms. They are. Absolutely. That's why I thought this was a great, you know, a great podcast topic to have for the building hot rodders, because there's a lot of knowledge in this group. And um, hopefully we are able to shed a little light to some people tuning in or at least people tuning in can agree with us and say yeah definitely those are you're absolutely right maybe we didn't solve any problems but uh i thought it'd be a great discussion and it was <laughs> and it was and i think i think with that guys i think we can wrap this episode up you know we could just keep talking about problem after problem after problem and you know where the failure was and you know, who could have done something different or better or, you know, why they did it this way and how you got to this point. But, you know, sum it all up. You just, you have to take a step back, take a breath, look at it logically, not run to the, um, the effect, but try to identify the cause. Yep. I agree. Um, with that, hopefully our listeners can take that away and, uh, go with that. Um, so thank you guys. Mark, Nick, and Jim for the discussion. I think it was great. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. I hope you really enjoyed the conversation. Stay tuned. Our next episode, we'll be taking a dive into data. So maybe a little bit of, a lot of bit of connection to this episode with, you know, forensic analysis, you need the data. So we're going to talk specifically about the data next week. Thank you very much and have a great day, everybody.